Amen. Well, good morning, 11 clockers. Good to see you guys. All right. Okay. Let's. Good morning, 11 o'clockers. Good to see you guys. Yes. Awesome. Uh, I'm Doug. I like to follow Jesus uh, with you guys. Let's start this new series of messages in Romans chapter 8 with a little bit of a history lesson. In 1795, just a few years after our nation was founded, John Mitchell and Philip Weigel, two men, they were convicted and condemned to death. They had committed real crimes against our nation. Uh, everyone knew it. Eyewitnesses had told of them instigating a rebellion, the Whiskey Rebellion. Eyewitnesses told that these guys getting this rebellion going against the newly formed government of the United States of America. And it took 13,000 American militiamen to stop that rebellion. So John Mitchell and Philip Weigel, they deserved death. They knew it. They were caught in the act. But neither John Mitchell nor Philip Weigel were ever hanged for their crimes. They were never punished. In fact, their just and fair condemnation was removed when George Washington pardoned them completely on his last day in office as president. Washington said of the pardon, he desired to temper the administration of justice with a reasonable extension of mercy. So John Mitchell and Philip Weigel had their condemnation removed. It's the power of presidential pardon which was originally Alexander Hamilton's idea, and then it got written into the Constitution. And ever since then, thousands upon thousands of tried and convicted criminals have had their condemnation removed with the stroke of a president's pen. Could you imagine being one of those criminals? Like, imagine being John Mitchell or Philip Weigel, and you know you have committed a crime, and that crime deserves death. And now you're in your prison cell, and your only two options are to sit there in your cell until justice is served, or just hope that maybe the president reads your story in the newspaper or hears about it and for some outrageous reason decides to pardon you. And so you're sitting in your cell for days, weeks, years, whatever that might be. And then you hear the president did read your story in the newspaper. And the president's term is nearly over. And he's thinking about maybe pardoning some criminals, maybe pardoning some prisoners. And then that day comes. And a prison warden walks in and he comes to your cell door and he unlocks it, opens it for you and says, you can go free. You get to walk out a free person. John Mitchell walked out a free man. Philip Weigel walked out a free man. No more condemnation, no sentence left to serve. Could you imagine that? If you can, then you're close to understanding the book of Romans. If we can grasp that and imagine that, we are getting close to understanding Romans chapter 8, verse 1, our one and only verse for the sermon today. It reads, There is therefore now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is only 13 words in the English language, but my goodness, those are life-changing, like reality-shifting, universe-altering words that reflect the heart of God Almighty and his unrivaled, absolute power to pardon sinners. His unrivaled absolute power to look you and me in the eye, criminals though we are, and say to us, there is no more condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. So if, you, if you've ever struggled with a sense of guilt or a nagging experience of shame in your life, if you've ever felt like you're always wrong and never right, or you'll never be, able to bro- or never be able to fix what you broke or make up for lost time, if you struggle of ever seeing yourself as loved in God's eyes or accepted in God's sight, then please tune in this morning and hear some good news. So we got to start first with a fast flyover review of Romans chapters 1 through 7. Like before we taste and drink the godly goodness of Romans chapter 8, we have to sip the sour wine of Romans 1 through 7, all right? Now, why do we got to go back to Romans 1 through 7? Well, first, because Romans chapter 8 verse 1 starts with, there is therefore, all right? And like a good Bible teacher taught me way back in high school, he said, Doug, anytime you see a therefore in the Bible, you got to ask, what is that therefore there for? And so Romans 1 through 7 answers that question for us. We also got to do this review of the first seven chapters because Romans verse 8 says, there, Romans 8 1 says, there is therefore now. And that word now must be important. It signals to us that what is true of us now hasn't always been true of us. Something's changed. So we go back and we review to see what has changed and what makes now, now. But honestly, even if we didn't have to do the review because of the text, I think I would want to go back and review it because I don't know about you, but if I were John Mitchell sitting in my prison cell in 1795 and some prison warden came in and said, hey, congratulations, you can go free. George Washington pardoned you. I'd be like, I'm going to check your word, bro. I'm going to make sure, like double darn sure you're not lying to me and set me up for a further punishment. So, Romans chapter 1 through 7 can be summed up like this. We all deserve condemnation from God. We all deserve condemnation from God. In the courtroom of heaven and earth with God as the only judge and us struggling around trying to put together a flimsy case to defend ourselves before God the judge, when the gavel drops and God says, condemned, it is well deserved. So let's start in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, where it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. That includes mine and that includes yours. Romans chapter 1 goes on to tell us that the, the goodness and the truth of God can be seen like even in the basics of nature. 
The goodness and truth of God, it can be seen in the lush hills that surround us. It can be seen in the mud of the mighty Mo and the staggering slopes of Mount Crescent, right? The goodness and the beauty of God can be seen there in the, in the beautiful rays of the sunrise, in the infinite colors of a sunset. We have the best sunsets here. The infinite colors of the sunset on the western horizon. Even there, we can see there is a God, and he's good, and he's true. But so often, we try to suppress that and shut God up instead of lean in and say, I need to learn more about this creator God. Why do we do that? Because we would rather focus on ourselves. <laughs> Why learn more about creator God when I can learn about me and focus on me and find out more about me and exalt me and elevate me and look out for me? And as we do that, we are worshiping ourselves. When we worship ourselves, it's like we become our own little gods, and we push the one true and good God to the margin and usher ourselves into the center of our lives. That process, which happens globally among every human and happens individually in our own hearts, that process is what the Bible calls sin. Now, Romans chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore, because of this whole process that we all do, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, Every one of you, well, snap. No matter how much I try to put myself in the judge's seat, I can't do it. No matter how much I try to see myself as my own little God, it's not going to work. That doesn't work. And, oh yeah, I'm also held responsible for trying to worship myself. I deserve the wrath of God. And in case chapters 1 and 2 weren't clear, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, comes along and it tells us, all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. Even if all we had to go on was the sunrise and the sunset, then even then I have fallen short of going, okay, there must be a creator God. I need to lean in and learn more about him. But I mean, City Light, let's be honest. We got more than a sunrise and a sunset to go on. We have Bibles that are readily accessible and available for us to read it. But I don't know about you. Every time I read it, I feel like here's another verse that I don't measure up to. And in the front of our Bibles, God has given us a law, and that law is good and true. But whenever I read that law, I realize I've broken that law, thereby breaking God's heart and ruining my chance. We've ruined our chance at ever being truly good and truly right before him. No matter how Midwestern nice we might be, none of us are perfect. No matter how many years we've shown up to church or volunteered for the Rotary Club or given money to the poor, all of us, like when we breathe deep enough to slow our brains down, we can taste the dirt and the darkness of our own hearts. Romans is right. We're all sinners. But thankfully, that's just chapters 1 through 3. Then comes Romans chapter 4. And Romans chapter 4 helps us see that even though we are sinners, rotten down to our cores, there's still hope. And that hope just so happens to be named faith. Faith alone in Jesus alone. Here's how Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says it. Since we have been justified by not our works, not our efforts, 
not our best, inten- uh, our, our best intentions or our church attendance. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're like, yes, there's a way out of this condemnation. And it's called faith in Jesus. Please hear me. Religion, doing your best to stack up your good deeds like a house of cards, it simply cannot deal with the nagging sense of guilt and condemnation that you might feel. But also rebellion and running as far away from God as you possibly can. It can can't take away the nagging sense of guilt and condemnation that you feel. The only thing that can take that away is faith alone in Jesus alone. And faith isn't merely going, I believe there's a God and he sent his son Jesus. Faith is looking away from yourself, no matter how bad or good you might think you are. Faith is looking away from yourself, no matter how righteous or unrighteous you think you are, and looking to Jesus alone as good, true, and righteous in your place. Does that make sense? Faith is looking away from yourself and actively looking to Jesus alone to deliver you from your sin. That's the good news of chapters four and five. But then comes chapters six and seven, where Romans is just honest about the reality of the Christian life. Even though we have been delivered from condemnation by faith alone in Jesus, so many of us, we still struggle, don't we? Like we struggle with sin, with shame, with fear, with guilt, we struggle and we feel like we've got a big scarlet letter on our chest that tells everyone around us, especially God, that man, we must still be bad people. We have these struggles, which brings us to Romans chapter 7, verse 21. And it says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Been there fought that, right? I see some heads nodding. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God, like in my inner being, but I see in my members, my outer beings, another law waging war against the law of my mind, my inner being, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my outer being. Wretched man that I am. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever been there? I'm so tired of myself. I'm so worn out by the internal tension of wanting to do what is right. But then I go and I do what is wrong yet again. I'm sick of giving into temptation. My inner person, my spirit, like the truest expression of who I am, longs for Jesus to honor him, know him, worship him, enjoy him. But my outer members, my body, they go and give in to sin yet again. How miserable, how wretched is this struggle? And so, Romans chapter 7, verse 24, closes with this question. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Who's going to deliver me from this struggle? Great question with a great answer, verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Who rescues us from the tension of guilt and shame pulling us one way and our desire for holiness and purity pulling us the other way? Jesus Christ, our Lord. Who rescues us from always falling short of the glory of God? Jesus Christ, our Lord. Who rescues us from our sin? Jesus. Who rescues us from having no excuse before God and no ability to wiggle out of the just condemnation? Jesus Christ, our Lord. Who rescues us from the wrath of God that is rightly revealed against us? Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Romans 1 through 7 says that we all deserve condemnation from God because of who we are as sinners, what we do, and what we fail to do. We deserve that condemnation, but Jesus. We deserve it, but Jesus. In fact, if you don't mind, we're going to do a little uh, rehearsing here. Repeat after me. You ready? I am a sinner, but Jesus. There you go. That, we could stop right there. That's amazing. But we're going to just go right into Romans 8 verse 1. Now we're back to where we started. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we can just let the wonder of those words, this good news, land on any and all of us who are in Christ Jesus right now. In this moment, this day, there is no condemnation for you if you are in Christ Jesus. So what I want to do is, if you don't mind this metaphor, I want to launch this missile of happy news against some common misunderstandings of Christianity. Okay, The first common misunderstanding is what I call the back then lie. The back then lie. Sometimes we hear or we think that following Jesus, it starts with confessing our sin to him and then believing on him alone to forgive us of our sins. And he does forgive our sins back then. And we're like, okay, that was great that Jesus forgave me back then. You know, that was really awesome, Jesus, that you took my condemnation away back then. But that was back then before the porn addiction. That was back then before the divorce. That was back then before I swore God off and told him I didn't want to have anything more to do with him. That was all back then, but I've sinned since then, and now i got to fix it. Now i got to make it right. It's like the first round draft pick or last year's MVP. Sure, you were great back then, but will you make the cut this season? Will you be good enough this year? You're only as good as your last performance, or so the sports world and the business world has taught us down deep. But Romans chapter 8 shoots like a torpedo through the guilt-wracked weight of the back then lie. Yes, it is true that back then, when you first confessed your sins and gave your life to Jesus, back then, he forgave you and he took away all condemnation. But it is also true that today, now, this morning, still, there is no condemnation for you if you are in Christ Jesus. Back then, yes, but right now, yes, also. Second misconception of Christianity, I might call the maybe one day lie. Maybe one day. Sometimes we think that following Jesus, it's about being a good person, being a good Christian citizen, like doing the right thing, reading our Bibles and trying our best. And maybe one day we'll do enough to get in God's good graces. Maybe one day our good deeds will start to outweigh our bad deeds. Maybe one day God will start to love us because he's seen how hard we've tried. Um, do you remember six-week report cards in school? I remember those. I have a love-hate relationship with report cards um, because I really wanted to get good grades, but I always feared I was going to get bad grades. 
And so I had this thought system in my head that I thought if I got enough good report cards in a row, then maybe one day I could make my parents proud. Then maybe one day I could make my teachers and my coaches and my pastors proud. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, Doug, drop your report card. You don't need it anymore. Don't bring your report card to the throne of God because Jesus already turned in his report card. Jesus got all perfect grades. He aced every test. He fulfilled every promise. And then Jesus brought that report card, absolutely perfect, before the throne of God. But at the top of the report card where the name goes, Jesus wrote my name. And Jesus wrote your name. We get all the credit for the perfection of Jesus before the throne of God. And so Romans chapter 8 verse 1, again, it shoots like a torpedo through the exhausting burdens of the maybe one day lie. Because Romans chapter 8 verse 1 doesn't say, hey, listen, maybe if you keep trying, therefore, then um, it's, it's a good chance there won't be any condemnation for you. No, it says there is therefore now already sealed and delivered to you because of the blood of Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Another misconception is what I would call the I can't forgive myself lie. Sometimes we hear the happy news that through Jesus, God has removed our condemnation. There's no more left. And we think, well, I know that's true. It's in the Bible after all, and I shouldn't argue with that, but it's true for everybody else, not for me. That's, that's great for all those people, but it just doesn't help me. And then we start to think of that big sin we committed, or that mistake, or that long list of mess-ups that we have, and we often say something like this, I can't even forgive myself. How could God ever forgive me? So, I have good news for you this morning that might sting a little bit at first. God isn't asking you to forgive yourself. And if God went through all the trouble of so clearly showing us that we do deserve his condemnation, but he sent his one and only son so that that condemnation might be removed from us by faith alone in Jesus alone, then God's not going to wait around to see if you can figure out if you can forgive yourself or not. Don't look to yourself to forgive yourself. Look to Jesus to forgive yourself. Let Jesus do all the forgiving. Let Jesus do all the condemnation removing. Let Jesus lavish his love upon you that you could never earn. Another history lesson. In 1829, President Andrew Jackson granted full pardon to a man named George Wilson. Wilson was convicted and condemned to death for a robbery he committed, and he was also an accomplice to a murder. But Wilson had friends in Washington, D.C., who when he committed those crimes, they went and they got an audience with President Andrew Jackson, and they pleaded his case. And in the end, President Jackson granted Wilson full pardon. And you would think that whenever Wilson heard the news that the President of the United States granted him full pardon, that he would rejoice. When the warden opened up his cell door, he would walk out. But when he got that news from the authorities, Wilson refused the pardon. 
his friends that he knew, they then started lawsuits to try to enforce that pardon against his will. He continued to refuse. It went all the way up to the Supreme Court of the United States. And all through it, Wilson refused, refused, refused until his dying day when he suffered his original condemnation. Friends, please hear this. Don't be like George Wilson. Do not refuse the outrageous pardon of God for you in Christ Jesus. Don't look to yourself. Don't put it all on your shoulders and your ability to forgive yourself or not. I know there's real pain associated with this struggle and shame, maybe even guilt. And I know that's there, but please acknowledge it and then let it wash onto the shoulders of Jesus. Let him bear that guilt, bear that shame, bear that pain. And let him speak to you the forever faithful words There is therefore now no condemnation for you if you are in Christ Jesus. One more misconception is what I call the I don't deserve it, half truth. I don't deserve it, half truth. Sometimes when we consider just how amazing it is that God takes away our condemnation, we start to rehearse to ourselves, yeah, but I don't deserve it. And we tell ourselves over and over again, it's like a song stuck on repeat. I don't deserve it. Oh, let's play that again. I don't deserve it. Until we get in like infographic email from Spotify at the end of the year. And at the top of our most played list is the I don't deserve it song. Written by you and the sin that so easily entangles. And it's half true, isn't it? Like we don't deserve our condemnation being removed. We don't. Like by nature and by choice, we are sinners deep down who deserve the wrath of God. That's what Romans chapter 1 through 7 is all about. But that's only half the truth. City Light, let's go all the way into the truth. Let's go all the way down into God's grace. All the way down into God's kindness. Let's go all the way into the happy news that even though we don't deserve the grace of God, All we get from God is grace. The only thing that God gives us is more and more and more grace. Like in the recipe of how God relates to undeserving sinners, how God relates to people who don't deserve to know him. In that recipe, on the ingredient list, there are ingredients like love, mercy, kindness, grace, and then after that, some love and some mercy and some kindness and some grace. And nowhere on that recipe, nowhere on that ingredient list is condemnation. It doesn't exist. Not a splash, not a dash, not a pinch, not a teaspoon. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You could spend the rest of your life looking for condemnation in the heart of God and you won't find it. God, if he just somehow forgot his promises and went and looked for condemnation in his heart towards you, if you're in Christ Jesus, it's not there to be found. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen, church? Amen. Now let me close by trying to answer how. How does God take away our condemnation? For John Mitchell and Philip Weigel, their condemnation was removed by the power of a president's pen. How does God remove our condemnation? Does he like sweep it under the rug and hope no one notices whenever they come over for dinner? Stick it in that back room that we all have before people come over, you know? Does God turn a blind eye and just pretend like we never sinned or earned condemnation? 
Thankfully, no. God takes away our condemnation by bringing us into Christ Jesus. Every word in this verse matters. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, I have to say this to be faithful to the Bible. If you are not in Christ Jesus, then the just and fair sentence of condemnation still hangs over you before God. But if you are in Christ Jesus, by faith alone in Jesus alone, then there really is no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. You might think of being in Jesus like this. I'm going to use an illustration here that's really controversial, especially today. So please be gracious to me, okay? But I, it, I think it might work, all right? Here's a photo of a guy. Anybody know this guy? I'm guessing not. I, I didn't know him either. Um, but now I'm going to show you another photo. And it is of the same guy, except this time he is in something. Here it is. Okay, I know. No condemnation, Huskers. It's a tough weekend for Hawkeye fans too, okay? No condemnation, Hawkeye fans. And I guess God bless you, Cyclone fans. Okay. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No condemnation any which way. But the point here is the uh, photo of the guy in the first picture, his name is Aaron Wyatt, uh, a Herbie Husker mascot legend. But whenever Aaron Wyatt steps into Herbie Husker, everything changes, right? We relate to him as though he is Herbie Husker, we might love him, cheer for him, some of us, we might hate him, right? But the point is, we relate to him as Herbie Husker, because he is in Herbie Husker. That gets close to what Romans chapter 8 means when it says, those who are in Christ Jesus. Like, on my own, I'm a sinner, and I deserve the full and just condemnation of God. But in Christ Jesus, those sins are dealt with, paid for, forgiven. And I'm a beloved child of God who gets only grace from God. I'm still me, and God still sees me, but he totally relates to me only in Christ Jesus. Now, let me try to explain this in the wonderful and wacky world of Bible theology. Here's what being in Christ Jesus means. Romans 8 verse 3 helps us understand this. It says, By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, God condemned sin in the flesh, in the body, that is the body of Jesus. So when we put our faith in Jesus, no longer looking to our goodness or our badness, no longer looking to our righteousness or unrighteousness, only looking to his goodness, when we do that, what Romans 8.3 is saying is that our sin was then on and in Jesus as he died on the cross and paid the price for that sin. So it really is dealt with. Our sin was real, but it's not swept under the rug. It got dealt with on the cross by Jesus Christ. The price is paid. The sentence is truly served. 
And when Jesus rose from the dead because of our faith in him, we also rose with him to a life of freedom and grace and joy and radically following Jesus Christ. We died with Jesus on the cross, Galatians 2 says, and we rose with Jesus to live freely and fully in his grace forever. That's what being in Christ Jesus means. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me, City Light? Oh God, Father in heaven, would you come and through your Holy Spirit, would you take these words of scripture, the words of the sermon, and would you breathe them into our souls? Would you give us true faith to say, yes, that's true of me. Jesus took all my sins and they were condemned and paid for on the cross. And Jesus rose from the dead victorious, and now I live in him, free and fully in his grace. And so, friends, as you continue to pray, the communion servers are going to prepare. You can ignore all that. Continue to pray, and I just want to give an invitation to any of you who have not, by faith, joined to Jesus. You have not simply said, I put all my trust and faith in Jesus. If that's you, I want to urge you this morning, put your trust in Jesus. Put your faith in him alone to save you from your sin. It's as simple as A, B, C. Admit you're a sinner. Just admit it to God that you've brought yourself to the center of your life. You've pushed him to the margins and you're doing life on your own terms. Whether that looks good or it looks bad, it's sin. Admit that to him and then believe on Jesus alone to deliver you from that sin and pour out love, pour out grace, pour out kindness on you. And then give the rest of your life to him. Commit the rest of your life to Jesus and let him change you and work this truth out throughout your life. Oh, Father, I pray for those who even now they're realizing I have not joined myself to Jesus by faith alone in him. Oh, would you bring them in? Relate to them now as in Christ to Jesus. Relate to them now as fully forgiven, covered by the blood of Jesus, washed totally clean. The price has been paid for them. The sentence has been served for them. There is therefore now no condemnation for them. And then, Father, I also pray for my friends in the room, myself included, who maybe we've been Christians for a while, we've been following you, but it's like this system of religion just pops back up, and we're thinking about the next report card, and what's God going to think of us, and how's he going to judge our performance? Did I do enough? Did I slip up here? Did I mess up there? I pray that you would wash over with us the good news that even now there is therefore no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Would you wash over the good news to us that it's all grace and only grace to us? Pour your love on us. Pour your grace on us. Let us receive it in its many forms and say, yes, God is for me because of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Come, Holy Spirit, stir this in our hearts, stir it in our imaginations, and let it show up in our schedules, our relationships, and our work. We pray in Jesus' good name. Amen.